Come on up, kids. Take a seat. You're already up here? That's right. You knew that after we said the Our Father prayer, you were smart. You came right up. Let's see how many kids we got up here today. One, two, three, four, five, six kids. I have only two dollars. What that means is I'm going to be giving away these two dollars, but they only can go to two kids. Okay, that means four of you are not going to get a dollar this morning. You need to understand that. Okay, I don't have enough money to give everybody a dollar. So the way we're going to do this and adults, I need you to listen to this because I'm going to need some volunteers in just a second. Oh, we have more than six. That just means more and more people are not going to win. Okay? So, I have two dollars. And what I'm going to do is we're going to have a contest. You guys that want to participate. If you don't want to participate, that's okay. But if you want to participate, I'm going to ask you in a minute to come up here and to stand in a row. And you're not yet. And you're going to stand in a row. And when I say go... You're going to pick up one foot and you have to keep that one foot in the air without touching anybody else or anything else and try to keep your balance for a minute. I don't think any of you are going to get a dollar. I don't think it's possible for any of you to actually get the dollar because I don't think you'll be able to stand Without losing your balance and putting your foot down. Because once you put your second foot down, you're out. Okay? Doesn't matter what foot you pick up. But once it's up, it has to stay up. And then we're going to have somebody watching a clock. And once it hits a minute, then whoever's still going, there can only be two winners. So if we have three or four people and it's still a, and it's a minute and there's three or four people, we'll just see who can go the longest. Okay? Now I'm going to have... You're going to be my account, my timer. Okay, I need two adults to come up and be judges because I do not want to get in trouble. <laughs> I was the one. I was the one. So I need two adults to come up, not parents, not parents. No, you. Well, you, you can as long as you can be fair. <laughs> okay. So does everybody understand the rules? You're going to come up here. You're going to stand. You can put your arms out, so that might mean that you have to step, stay far away from each other. But you have to stand with one foot in the air. And if you put your foot down, or if you fall back and touch something, or if you fall over, you're out. Okay? And whoever's the longest, the two that are the longest, will win the dollar. I promise you that if you do what I ask, you will get the dollar. I promise you. Okay? Do I have a timer? I do. Okay. And I have two judges. Okay, kids, come on up and stand here. You don't have to, you don't have to stand in a line. Just stand where you can't touch each other. Don't lean against the, no, you can't lean against the, the, the bench. So you have to come out a little bit. Okay, can you ladies who are my judges see these kids? Um, I can see them on this side. Elsie, can you see them? Yeah, I can see Okay, are we ready, timer? Don't announce when a minute comes, but if there's, if there's not any kids standing, then you can announce when there's a minute. Ready? 
Okay, go. Ah, that's out. Doubt. I, I, I know. Sit down. I can't do it. I understand. It's okay. It gets hard, doesn't it? Don't rest it on your knee. Out. And men, if we go full minute, just let them keep going. Because it's the two that stay the longest. It's hard, isn't it? No, it's not hard. We're going to be here all day. Probably. Wow. I'm impressed that you guys are doing so good. Ivy, come over here, sweetie. Can you come here for a minute? Thank you, Ivy. Look at this. Look at <laughs> Wow. You guys are impressing me. We must be getting close to a minute. This is crazy. I didn't think that this was going to happen. I figured we'd all be out by now. I can tell you, I can't do it. Oh, I've tried. Believe me. This is crazy. Up, out. Out. Okay, we're down to three. Ah, uh, they're starting to wobble. You're doing the technique, Shane? You thought all of us weren't going to do I didn't think anybody was going to do it. Ivy, you need to stay back, sweetheart. This is craziness. Wow. Ivy's doing, really good at standing. Ivy's doing a great job at being sta- standing still. Thank you, Ivy. Oh, two. Okay, there you go. Oh, wait a minute. I changed my mind. I, I, I changed my mind. I don't think I'm going to do this. Never mind. How does that make you feel if I don't do what I said I was going to do? Eh, not really. You're really not happy, are you? You worked hard for that dollar, didn't you? You guys both worked hard for that dollar. And so I want to honor my promise to you. Okay. But see, sometimes, sometimes promises get broken, don't they? Sometimes you say, oh, I promise I'll never. And then you don't keep your promise. And see, that's not good. That's lying. And what does the Bible say about lying? Do not lie. Do not lie. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Did you know that the Bible tells us that God never lies? Parents, if you're in this room with a child in the room, write these scriptures down and reinforce them this week, please. Seriously, seriously, seriously. And other adults, write these down and, and, and memorize them this week. <clears throat> Titus. 
chapter 1, verse 2. Before time began, God promised to give us life. And God does not lie. That's first, that's Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. God promised Sarah that she would become a mother. Even though she was too old to have children, Sarah believed that God promised it to her and God was faithful. God is always faithful. When he makes a promise... He will fulfill that promise. And then the last one, Joshua chapter 23, verse 14. Joshua said, the Lord, your God has kept all the good promises he gave you. Every one of them has come true. Not a single one has failed to come true. And you know that with all your heart and soul. See, God, if he makes a promise to you, he will never, ever not give you what he promised. And one of the biggest promises we have is that if we believe that God gave his only begotten son, that he will forgive us of our sins and that we will be with God forever. But we have to believe that Jesus is God. We have to believe that God uh, raised him back to life after he died on the cross. And if you believe that, you have a promise from God that you will be with God forever and forever and forever. You will have eternal life. And because God doesn't lie, and because God is faithful, and because God always keeps his promises, you can know that that's going to be true. Let me pray for you. Jesus, bless these kids. Help them to come to understand that your promises are true. Your promises always come true. And you will never, ever, ever not do what you promised. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys can go back to your class now, okay? Thank you. Wow. I'm impressed. Seriously. I did not think we'd have a single dollar going out. Two minutes and 45 seconds. Wow. That's craziness. All right. Craig, could you pick up the, pick, bring up that picture, please, that I put on the computer? I'm not going to use the names because these are real people that I know. Um, and because it's on the video, um, they'll, the image will show up, but not clear enough for anybody to be able to see who they are on the video. So it's okay. Um, my wife and I, when I was in the Air Force... Moved to the Republic of the Philippines in 1984. We lived there from 1984 until 1987. We were the only American family attending the Church of the Nazarene in Angolis City in the Philippines. And in that congregation, there was a family, this family, again, I'm not going to use their name, who became friends to us. Mr. and Mrs. both worked on base. She worked as a cashier at the commissary. He worked in the security forces. He was a guard on the base. And they had nine children. Count them in the image. All nine kids are in that picture. Guess where number nine is? 
This picture came from one of the family members' Facebook account. And they literally were joking about the fact that all nine kids were in the picture, but one of them couldn't be seen because he was still being baked. But, um, but the reason this family had nine children, and again, I'm not saying this, this is, these are their words. The reason there were nine children is because the last one was the second boy. The father wanted two sons. They continued to have children until he had two sons. We love these people. They are godly people. They have served the Lord faithfully over the last almost 40 years. Uh, and they've served the Lord their whole lives. He's The father has gone on to be with the Lord by now. Mrs. is in her 80s. I'm still Facebook friends with almost every single one of them. I hear from them regularly. We love them dearly. One of the things I never understood about this family, though, and it's not a criticism. It's simply I am dumbfounded by it. It is just beyond my understanding. You see the baby in Mrs. Arms right now? Again, I'm not going to use her name, but she's a very dear young woman. This little girl did not grow up with her siblings. This little girl was given to Mrs. Sister and her husband because Mrs. Sister and her husband were barren. And so they had nine kids. They didn't need all nine kids. It was too much money to feed and clothe all nine kids. And the other family was barren and they had lots of money. So they gave one of their daughters to the sister and brother-in-law. That girl lived with her aunt and her uncle for 14 years before she moved out into her adult life. I cannot fathom and understand how you could do that. But that's what was done. I don't know if it's a cultural thing. I literally looked online to see if there was such a thing culturally or if this was just this particular family. But what I do know is that my wife and I, and I've shared the story with you before, my wife and I got invited to go to the aunt and uncle's home many years ago because there was a, a big family celebration honoring the, the grandmother's uh, anniversary of her death. And if you remember that, that story, because I've said it in a sermon once, um, I went and we went on banca boats out into the beach and then we ate shrimp and prawn and rice and then we came back to the home of the aunt and uncle and the aunt said, oh, come and eat because there was tables filled with food and I said, oh, I can't eat any of your food. If I do, I'm going to get sick. And she thought that I had offended her by saying that her food would make me sick and I was trying to express that I had just stuffed myself with shrimp and and rice, and I'd just written a boat back from, from the islands to the mainland, and I was going to be sick if I ate anything else. So that's the story, that's the household that that little girl lived in for 14 years. When we drove away from that household that evening, I saw the, the pain, the tears, the screaming of that little girl who wasn't, if she was four or five, Maybe as her mom and dad and I mean, not her dad, but her mom and her sisters all drove away. She's on the front porch of the house going, ah, ah, broke my heart, made me angry. How could you do that to your child? But this was their choice. This was something they said they would do. Now, Mrs. 
visited her sister a lot throughout the year. So there was a continual visiting and seeing the biological and biological leaving throughout the childhood. It became the norm. It became how they lived. I don't understand it. I don't judge. This is their life. These were their choices. They knew what was right. They were Christians. I trust that they did what they felt was appropriate and right. But I can't get it. Just. Now, I tell you that story to prepare you for what God put on my heart. So my first question, go ahead and bring that, that, put that one down, please. Um, Nope. Back to the old, back, no, Craig, to the, to the woman praying. Thank you. All right. I have four words that I want you to define for me if you can. I want you to define, define these words. Covenant, promise, oath, vow. Do not look it up on Google. Covenant, promise, oath, vow. I will read to you the definitions from Merriam Webster, but I want to hear from you first. What is a covenant? Did I hear you say blood covenant? Blood covenant is the strongest agreement that God can make between man and himself. Okay. Anyone else? What is a covenant? It's a legal binding agreement between two parties. Okay. So it can be between two two humans as well. Okay. What is a promise? I'm sorry? You're going to try. In other words, you are saying, I am going to try when you're talking to another person. Okay? I'm sorry? An agreement or a commitment to... Okay. Okay. What is an oath? It's a vow. An oath is a vow? Okay. It's, it's a promise that's made upon, um, backed up by the backed up by the authority or power of some, someone else or something. Yeah. Okay. Taking hold of the Bible. Okay. All right. What's a vow? It's another promise. <laughs> Oh, we have such a such a command of the English language, and I don't mean us. I'm talking about the language itself is so it's it's so nebulous. Let me read to you the definitions. And, and Nathan, you're right spot on. Elsa, you were spot on. Okay. Covenant out of Merriam-Webster. A covenant is an agreement or promise usually under seal between two or more parties, especially for the performance of some action. In other words, we have sealed our agreement or our promise through something so that one or both of the parties will do whatever is being agreed upon. Okay. In the, in the case of the blood covenant that, that Charlene was talking about, if you go back to the story of Abraham, Abraham has a visitation from God. God does a blood covenant with Abraham by literally having the animals killed and the carcasses spread across the blood is flowing into a little valley. And God walks the blood path, not the man. And in that culture back then, when two human beings were entering into a blood covenant, both would walk the path of blood saying, let it be done unto me and my own as has been done unto these animals if I break this covenant with you. 
Okay, so a blood covenant was a huge, huge promise between two people or two beings. And in the, in, in the, in the case of a blood covenant, you were literally saying, if I break this covenant by let this seal that we're walking this path of blood, let be done to me and my family what we just did to these animals. Let us be killed and cut asunder. This is how serious this promise is. It's more than a promise. Now, God, in the case with Abraham, God himself walked the path, saying, I'll pay the penalty if either one of us break this. Isn't that powerful? A promise is not as, de- is not as powerful or not as important, not as uh, deep as a covenant. A promise is a declaration that one will do or will refrain from doing something specified. I'll do this, I promise, or I promise I won't. Do. Okay, it's just simply me saying to another or others, I promise. An oath is indeed a promise. But it's this, there's this one caveat, and Elsie hit it. A solemn, usually formal, calling upon God to witness to the truth of what one says, or to witness that one sincerely intends to do what one says. I take an oath. Now, we have reached the point in our culture where we do not want to honor God with oaths. So we no longer require people to put a hand on a Bible or to say, I swear before God. We simply say, do you solemnly affirm or do you solemnly promise that you will blah, blah, blah. So basically it's on you again. It's just a promise. It's not an oath. But back in the day... An oath was, so help me God if I'm lying or if I fail to do. So help me God. I put my hand on the physical representation of what my belief system is. Okay? Like Elsie said, calling another more supreme than me to witness this transaction between me and you and to call me to account if I don't do what I say I'm going to do. So again, it's way more than a promise. It's not quite a covenant because a covenant is between the two people. This is a promise, me saying to you, but I'm saying I'll, almighty God, the greatest being beyond anything I could know, I'm calling my God into account to oversee this. And that if I don't do it, he has every right to come to me and challenge me over what I did or didn't do. Now, the vow. This is a solemn promise or assertion, specifically one by which a person is bound to an act, service, or condition. An oath and a vow are similar, except the oath is a vow where you call God to be the witness. The vow is simply, I am making a statement that I will do this if blah, blah, blah. Okay, promises. I promise to tell you the truth. What I did with the kids was more than a promise. Although I used the word promise because they wouldn't have understood. I said to them, if you, then I. So I was actually entering into maybe a covenant with them. Not necessarily a vow because I wasn't going to stake my soul on it. But I was more, it was more than just a promise, okay? It wasn't just, hey, I'll give you a dollar. It was, I'll give you a dollar if you. 
So I'm entering into a covenant with these kids. And they entered into it with me. They agreed because they participated with the anticipation that I was going to fulfill my side of the covenant. But because I didn't call God into it, I could have just as easily kept my bucks and walked away. And they would have been mad and upset. But what were they going to do? I'm bigger than they are. Y'all would have killed me. (laughs) So you get the difference. Okay, covenant, promise, oath, vow. Covenant, promise, oath, vow. On the screen before you all morning long has been 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. What does it say? Let's read it together. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Now, they use the word vow, but it seems like it's more than a vow, doesn't it? It seems like it's a covenant because it's if you, then I. And I, I'm not going to argue the semantics here, but there are things you need to know about vows that are straight out of the Bible, that are not part of our culture anymore, but were part of Hannah's culture and applied to her life, okay? So number one, if you'll turn, you don't have to turn, but if you you want to, turn to Numbers chapter 30, verses 1 through 8. Numbers chapter 30, verses 1 through 8. This is out of the law of Moses. This is the way that God gave instruction on how you should live your life. If you're Jewish and following the covenant, it says Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, this is what the Lord has commanded. If a man and this is indeed a physical male, a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge. He shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. If a woman vows a vow to the Lord and binds herself by a pledge while within her father's house of her youth and her father hears of her vow and of her pledge by which she has bound herself. And if the father says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand and every pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. So you hear what this is saying in that culture. The woman has the right to make a vow, but she is under authority of her father. If she's still living in her father's home and the father has the legal right to nullify whatever vow he hears that she has made. So he doesn't have to be present when she makes the vow. But once he learns about it, he has the legal authority to nullify it if he sees that she spoke foolishly. So it's a a protection over the young girl. She can make a promise, but if she did it out of out of ignorance or or maybe she got tricked or something, the father has the legal right to nullify that agreement and nullify that pledge or that promise or that vow. Now, if you go then to verse five, but if the father opposes her on that day, here's no... But if the father opposes her on the day that he hears of it, no vow of hers, no pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. And the Lord will forgive her because her father opposed her. Hear that. There's still God holding account when you make a vow. 
But because she has this out, if she made a foolish vow, God will forgive her of her sin of not fulfilling the vow because her spiritual head, her cover, released her from her vow. Now, that's not part of our culture anymore. Heaven forbid a man should ever tell a woman she can't speak and speak her own mind and make her own covenants and her own vows. and her own. But that was the way it was back then. Now, verse six. Now, if this woman marries a husband while under while under her vows or any thoughtless utterance of her lips by which she has bound herself and her husband hears of it and says nothing to her on the day that he hears it, then her vows shall stand and her pledges by which she has bound herself shall stand. But. If on the day that her husband comes to hear of it, he opposes her, then he makes void her vow that was on her and the thoughtless utterance of her lips by which she has bound herself and the Lord will forgive her. Okay, so what happened in the case of Hannah? Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse, and let's see what happened. First Samuel, chapter one, verse 11, she makes a vow. And then we go on down and we go to verse 21. And verse 21 of chapter one of first Samuel says, Elkanah, Hannah's husband, went up to Shiloh to offer the yearly sacrifice to the Lord. He also went there to keep a promise he had made. His whole family went with him. But Hannah didn't go. She said to her husband, when the boy doesn't need me to breastfeed him anymore, I'll take him to the Lord's house. I'll give him to the Lord there. He'll stay there for the rest of his life. Verse 23, her husband Elkanah told her, do what you think is best. Stay here at home until Samuel doesn't need you to breastfeed him anymore. And may the Lord make his promise to you come true. So Hannah stayed home. She breastfed her son until he didn't eat her milk anymore. And when the boy didn't need her milk, her to breastfeed him anymore, she took him with her to Shiloh. She took him there, even though he was still very young. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. So you hear in a culture where a woman's vow can be nullified by her husband. Once he hears of the vow, she says to him, I'm going to be fulfilling the vow that I made before God at Shiloh by saying, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you for all the days of his life and he will live under a Nazarite vow. And her husband Elkanah did not nullify the, the vow that she made. He actually agreed with her and said, may God bless you and give you that which has been promised to you. So the vow stands. Now, Look, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter five. I know we're bouncing around, but it's important. This is not part of our culture. We have to be educated on what their culture was. Ecclesiastes chapter five, verses one through six. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they don't know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven 
and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger, oh, it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Wow. We take our word very lightly in this society. It's very easy for us to break promises and not bat an eye. It's very easy for us to break oaths and not bat an eye. It's very easy for us to break covenants and not bat an eye. But I would submit to you, the word of God says, no matter how easy it is, you have an onus before God for the oath, the promise, the covenant that you broke. It's declared in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 that you are sinning. And there is the fear that God would be angry and destroy the work of your hands. Now, I am not pointing fingers at any human being that's in this room. I am not in any way trying to accuse you of anything. But if you've been married more than once and your first spouse is still alive on this earth, you're a covenant breaker. You're a vow breaker. If you were married in a Christian church, you need to talk to God to make sure that that's all clear. Again, I am not in any way making judgmental statement. I'm simply telling you what the Bible says. If you have made a covenant or a, a contract with somebody and broken that contract, I'm not talking about a marriage relationship. I'm talking about a rental agreement. I'm talking about a car payment. I'm talking about taking out a loan and then not paying your loan back. This is not just between humans. This is between you and God. Because God doesn't take it lightly when you break your promise. Let me share with you something that happened to me in my life. My wife and I got married in 1980. Um, we moved to Massachusetts, again, military assignment, in 1982. We lived there from 1982 to 1984, just before we moved to the Philippines. During that time, I was a relatively new member of the Church of the Nazarene. I'd only been part of the church since 1978. My wife grew up in it. I was struggling because in the church we were in, there were people on the church board who were our age who went to movies. Now, 
in that church of the Nazarene at that time, we had what was called the covenant of Christian character, conduct. And one of the tenets of the covenant of Christian conduct was that Nazarenes didn't go to any entertainment that was subversive to the good Christian ethic. And that included movies. You didn't go to movies. You didn't go to live theater. You didn't go to the circus. The circus? Really? It truly said the circus in our book. And I said to my wife, as we're going to this church, I'm really struggling here because I stood before a congregation back in Texas and said, if you will let me become part of your club, I'll follow your rules. And they said, we welcome you with a hearty hand of fellowship. And I became a member of the club known as the Church of the Nazarene. Then I moved to Massachusetts and leaders in the church are violating the club rules. I don't understand it. I don't get it. And when we talked with them, they're dear friends of ours even to this day. They now live in Maine. They don't live in Massachusetts. They've retired and gone back to Maine. But anyway, they explained to us that they only went to G-rated films. And the reason they only went to G-rated films was because they said Hollywood only listens to people with their money. So if we go to G-rated films only and only support G-rated films, then we are telling Hollywood, this is what we want. We don't want all of this other garbage. So this is what we want. So they felt strong in their, but I was like, I don't, it was really hard for me. So I really struggled with it. And, and I, it's a long story that I don't have time to give you all of the details, but let it, let it come down to the fact that by the time I left that church in 1984, I had made a vow before God that I was not going to cross the threshold of a movie theater ever, ever again. I had gone to movies before, but I was under conviction that I could not go to movies. And so I promised God, I vowed God, I will not go to a movie theater again. Then we get to the Philippines. VHS and beta comes out. Now you can go to stores and buy or rent these little tapes that you bring home and put into a little machine under your TV and see exactly the same stuff you would see in a movie theater. And I asked a man who was at that time the regional director for all of Asia Pacific, just like the guy that's coming next week is over Mesoamerica. This guy was over all of Asia Pacific for the Church of the Nazarene. I'm sitting in his living room and I said to him, Dr. Uh, Owens, you're a mucky muck in this denomination. How come we're not allowed to go to movie theaters, but you can have that box under your TV? And he looked at me and he looked at the box. And he looked at me and he looked at the box and he looked at me and he said, I don't know. I just know that I can. Okay. So then Renee and I made a decision that we could have a box in our house and we could be discerning with what we watched, but we still didn't go to movie theaters. Now fast forward almost 20 years. I'm pastoring in Two Rivers, Alaska, and the movie The Passion of the Christ comes out by Mel Gibson. And a member of our community who was part of the church at the time comes to me, the pastor, and hands me $150 in cash and says, I want you to take the youth to see that film. Okay. Hallelujah. Let's let's evangelize these children. Yay. 
And so I drive down to the Regal Cinema, park my car, and I'm walking across the parking lot, and I'm almost up onto the little sidewalk to go into the Regal Cinema to buy the tickets so that we can show the kids the Passion of the Christ. And the Holy Spirit of God says to me, vows mean nothing to you, Bob. And it stopped me in my tracks. And I was like, God, what are you talking about? This is telling people about Jesus. We're going to get kids saved. Vows mean nothing to you, Bob, because they certainly mean a lot to me. But God, vows mean nothing to you, Bob. And I had to turn around, get back in my car and drive away. Now, did we take the students to see the Passion of the Christ? Yes, this church took people to see the Passion of the Christ. This pastor did not go. Thank God there was other adults in our church who were interested enough to evangelize our youth and they took our youth to see that really powerful story of the, of the Passion of Christ. But I was prohibited from participating in that because I had made a vow before God 20 years earlier. Now, was I right in making that vow? I thought so. I had been intentional and prayerful and thought. I mean, I had spent hours in conference with other Christians and with people more mature in the faith than me, with my wife. We had made a conscious decision that we thought was God honoring and we did it. And we made it a vow. It wasn't just a pledge or a promise. It was a vow. I didn't ever see the day coming that I would be asked to evangelize youth by breaking that vow. I couldn't. I couldn't. And so now, let's go back to Hannah. Hannah said a vow. It's on the screen. God, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, there's the laying out of what she's asking of God. If you will do this for me, then I vow to you, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Now, I would submit this wasn't a rash thing that this young woman did, or maybe she wasn't young, maybe she was in her 40s or 50s, I don't know. I would submit that this was something she had thought long and hard about. I would submit that she maybe even talked about this with her husband. I can't say she did or she didn't, but obviously he didn't disagree. But when it came down to it, when the rubber met the road, she had to fulfill her vow. Now, those of you who are parents, but especially those of you who are mothers, I want you to put yourself in her place right now. Can you imagine taking your child, your only child, who is three, maybe four years old, and taking him someplace where you will not have day-to-day -day access and leaving him there so that as you walk away, he stands on the threshold going, Mama! 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 But you made a vow. 
You made a vow. You can't renege on a vow. Read now 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 18 through 21. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed in a linen ephod. His mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she has asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home again every year. Samuel having to go, Mama, Mama. Verse 21. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And I want to put, but the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. God takes your vows very seriously. It's not just a matter of your own honor. It's not just a matter of being true to your word. It's a matter of your relationship with God. And so I, I would caution you before you enter into any covenant, contract, agreement, promise, or vow, be very careful what you say, recognizing that it's more than just you and me shaking our hands. God will hold you to account if you do not fulfill what you say you will do. And there will be a price to pay. And it'll be on you, not him. Let's pray. God, I'm not happy that I was asked to say these words because these were hard words to say, but I am thrilled. I am thrilled that you chose this Sunday to say these words with all of the songs that we heard, with the scripture that was read, with the message that you brought forth through all of this. God, I trust that you are speaking to hearts right now. And I trust, God, that you are going to bring about victory, resolution, healing, reconciliation, peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.